Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tegos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays when we sit down with Smart Karma Insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. Thank you for being with us and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to our webinar. I'm Michael Tegos from Smart Karma. And today I'm very happy to welcome Daniel Tabush, who'll outline his thesis on banks globally and in Asia. A few words about Daniel. Uh, he has 25 years of experience analyzing Asia Pacific banks, including HSBC, Standard Chartered, and Japanese and Australian banks. At the same time, his research and consulting focuses on global banking issues, including the regulatory environment. He was the head of Asian bank research at the number one Asian brokerage, CLSA, for most of his career, overseeing coverage of 80 banks and 10 analysts in Asia Pacific. Daniel started his own independent bank research and consultancy in 2012, under the name Tabish Report. Daniel, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. Your presentation is titled Turning Point, so please uh, tell us more about this. Thank you, Michael, and thanks to uh, Smart Karma for uh, hosting this. We're very positive on banks globally. There are so many factors that are coming together all at one time, which can create um, uh, a very strong set of profit numbers for, for many, many banks across the world. Um, I don't want to say it's indiscriminate, but uh, it's almost to that point. And I think a lot of people will understand, of course, the starting point was last year when things were not good for banks, not good for their core income, not good for economies, and of course, not good for provision costs. And for us, much of that has already turned. And this year is when we get the full turning point for the full year. We have to first sort of set the scene, set the stage. On this first slide, we show uh, US Federal Reserve Bank's total credit outstanding. And this really just gives an idea of the amount of liquidity in the US banking system, but you could do this the same with the ECB or with the Bank of Japan. There is a huge amount of liquidity out there, and it's very unlikely that central banks will rein that in in a meaningful way very soon. The steepening yield curve has tended to be a good sign of what's to come, but even if it's not, we understand and we have to think about what it means from a bank perspective. Generally, it would mean that banks have a greater and greater ability to borrow short and lend long. And this is typically very positive for their net interest margins. So this is another positive point for their income. This uh, slide we label supply, and it just so happens to be housing supply in the US, which is down to about one or two months supply, very, very low levels. And I think most people will know that the housing industry has a very strong uh, trickle-down effect to uh, any economy. So if indeed we have a lot of liquidity, we have extremely low interest rates, and there is very little supply out there, it could very well be that um, we start a new um, cycle in terms of construction and housing. And all of that is very positive for banks. We can see already with very high frequency data 
uh, weekly mortgage loan applications, very strong growth. And uh, of course, it's no wonder with interest rates at low levels, maybe for a year or longer, a lot of people weren't out looking for houses or buying houses. And maybe for a lot of last year, people realized they really should have a house. They should have a bigger living space, or maybe people now want a bigger living space. At the same time, if depositors are getting a very, very low savings uh, rate on their deposits, it means there are other things that uh, look more attractive and naturally property is, is one of them. So this is, has been happening and it continues. We alluded to this for both of those last two slides, but um, it's always a good chart. This is a very long-term chart from 1977 until now. Mortgage interest rates have never been lower. So there's a push and pull potentially on mortgage loans. And all of this is Affect, can affect banks. They're right at the core of all of this. And they have capacity. This is important because if the loan to deposit ratios of banks were very high, then a lot of that may not matter. It just so happens they've never been lower. And um, it just so happens capital levels are also very high. So it's both, both of these things are there. If we only look at the right end of this chart, you can see, we can see that just in the past year, LDRs on aggregate of US banks have come down a lot. So it, it might be a little misleading that we're at the lowest levels ever, but it's really in the past year, they've come down dramatically. So banks can lend into this environment very easily. This is great data. This is data from credit analytics, S&P credit analytics, um, which we get through our subscription to S&P Global Market Intelligence. We don't have the raw data, um, but we have uh, the chart in front of us. And all this shows is the one-year probability of default for three different sectors. It seems uh, very technical, but... Uh, Anybody analyzing banks should understand that this is the single most important driver for any bank when they're deciding how much provisions to take. So we can see at the left end of this chart, some of these sectors had a probability of default of 15%, maybe 25 or maybe 45%. And now at the end of this chart, those numbers are all very, very low at about 5%. So that's the kind of delta in PD that will drive a similar kind of delta in credit costs, which we term LLP, loan loss provision expenses. And for some banks, we've seen that. We've seen the first iteration of that in the, in the fourth quarter. What's also interesting is that from February to March, the probability of default numbers have improved a lot further. So just take the first item, consumer discretionary, this sector had a PD, of one point, sorry, of 2.1 in February, last month, not last year, last month. And that went down to 1.4% in March. That is a huge improvement in the midst of the first quarter of fiscal year 21. Um, energy, huge improvement also from 1.4% to 0.8. Okay, that's obviously gonna be the case with rising oil prices. And even news today, a lot of these companies are buying back their junk bonds. But this means that the delta that we've seen for many banks, especially in the US, in the fourth quarter can continue. 
because PDs are continuing to improve. This is Wells Fargo. It gives, it gives perspective sometimes when we just look at the credit costs in, um, in absolute terms. Look at that number in um, Q2 and Q1 off the charts, and you can see that years and years worth of quarterly numbers can easily fit in that Q2 and that Q1 from last year. So that the reversal, the meager reversal in Q4 is tiny. You can have, you can have an entire year of reversals during uh, fiscal year 21, or of course, very, very low numbers. Uh, Mitsuho in Japan, another good example. Their um, fourth quarter for last year, remember this is on a different calendar basis, these banks, their year end is uh, in March. So we have to understand what we're looking at here. Their Q3 here is December. So you could see their Q4, that very high number when things were very bad, when there was a lot of fear, there was a lot of questions of what's going on, 150 billion. And normally this bank, they might take about 10 or 20 billion in provisions in any quarter. So it's no wonder that the numbers came down, but they can still be a lot lower. This is K-Bank in uh, Thailand and credit costs as a percentage of operating profit are actually still much higher last year than they were from 2019. And this shows that on an annual basis, those other two banks, we were looking at quarterly numbers, but on an annual basis, we still haven't seen the big decline. Thailand is an interesting one in particular because the country is now opening up, is about to open up more so for tourism. And we've even had some positive news flow today that should be able to help banks in terms of their NPL recognition, their credit costs, and probably in terms of uh, credit demand. HSBC, a little bit different. And um, we need to stress that point. The concern with HSBC is its loan distribution firstly. And you can see in the far right column here that the UK is 30% of loans. We don't even believe a lot of people recognize that. Um, it's Hong Kong businesses uh, just under that. So these are the two big, big components of HSBC's loan book. There are a host of concerns with their constant restructuring, the costs of that restructuring, their inability to be efficient or to operate at a profitable level like peer banks in many markets where it operates. But this is a specific concern for now, partly because of this, the data on this slide. UK uh, trade numbers are terrible in, um, in, the, in January. So UK imports from Germany down a bit, UK exports to Germany down a lot more. And people have been talking about the exit from the European Union for so long now, it, it, people are probably um, immune to the discussion. But the reality is the implications are coming through in trade data. It's not just Germany, by the way. So one would have to expect some weakness in the UK economy and then we have to extrapolate that across one of the, the most important banks there. And then there's Hong Kong. There's a clear and new and worrisome geopolitical risk in Hong Kong. Uh, there could be, none of this is there yet, at least in the data that we've looked at, capital flight, less investment. What would be a real concern is if property prices weaken 
because that is the real um, underlying collateral for all loans in, in almost all these systems, but particularly in Hong Kong. And we would not be surprised if uh, there's a country risk overlay for Hong Kong because of what's happening with Beijing. Uh, the country was just taken out of some sort of a freedom index uh, uh, made by heritage. But uh, sort of every week now, we learn um, about a new sort of measure coming through from Beijing, whether it's changing the, the curriculum in the schools or imposing uh, more, uh, more restrictions on who Hong Kong can elect to uh, their government. This is where HSBC is focused, these two countries, the UK and Hong Kong. So we have to keep that in mind. As an aside, anybody who's looked at Hang Seng Bank results, or for instance, UOB Bank from Singapore, but their Hong Kong um, operations in particular will have seen some of the highest NPL growth of any country in all of Asia during, uh, during last year, in some cases from very low levels. So that is another issue that um, could weigh on Hong Kong more than other countries. Philippines, we've included Security Bank here, which um, is in the midst of a, an incredible transformation um, into consumer loans away from other kinds of loans, uh, improved funding mix, everything that supports ROA expansion. But what we've shown here in particular is its credit costs. The increase in credit costs is incredible in the last year. And um, actually a lot of this was offset um, by gains on uh, trading from their treasury, uh, market to market actually on their treasury bonds. So ROA improvement wasn't as magnificent, well, wasn't as terrible as you would think. But the point here is that there is a long way down that this number can come. And uh, that's where you can re, and, and Security Bank is going through a core transformation of its business. That's a double positive. This is a newly listed bank in Vietnam, ROA expansion, uh, actually some similarities with the other story we just mentioned, a transformation of its balance sheet, uh, a strong focus on asset liability management, improvement in fee income. ROA growth has been very strong in arguably the worst year since the Asian financial crisis. And uh, remember, Vietnam still is a country which is underbanked, where you can command better pricing, even as funding costs are declining. So that's uh, not a terrible environment in which to operate. And this bank, Vietnam Maritime Commercial, has uh, seen some of the best uh, net interest income growth of any bank in Asia. And actually, we've seen many banks globally with uh, contracting net interest income growth. So it's a very, very different kind of environment in um, this frontier market. India to us stands out, but uh, negatively. And this is a chart which shows the average corporate interest coverage, but for only companies which are less than one times in the latest calendar year. So calendar year ending December. So a big deterioration. Um, while we were waiting for um, this presentation to start, we also looked at uh, a total debt to EBITDA, and also a very worrying and high number, much higher in the latest year than the year before. Um, people may know that there's been a ruling from the, um, from the government that banks will actually have to more properly classify their bad loans where they were hoping that they wouldn't. So our feeling is that across the world, across Asia, 
you could see a lot of banks with declining credit costs or reversals. And India may stand, may stand out as one of the few where you don't see that, or it's coming through to a much lesser degree. And to be fair, we've already seen that in December. There's very, very few banks that have shown uh, credit costs in decline or in a meaningful way, unlike the US, unlike Japan, unlike some other banks around Asia. And we also, when we think about India, we also have to go back to uh, two or three years ago. We know that there's been this structural problem, this um, stress in the underlying economy. And we have to remember that's where the analysis starts. It's not really about last year and closing the economy. China is unique in Asia and possibly the world where during Q1, Q2 and Q3, we don't have much data for Q4 yet from these banks, there wasn't much of a visible crisis. Loan growth wasn't bad. Credit costs were not really that bad. You can see here, first quarter they rose, 35% on average. Uh, Q2 growth was meager. Q3 was down. Um, there, there wasn't much of a crisis visibly in China. We also should remember that China was first in and recovered fast and first. So it may be the case that China benefits from a still a slight decline in credit costs, not, not a radical decline like other places, and continued still strong growth in net interest income and reasonable growth in, in loans. This is a, an interesting one as well, where we show net interest income growth, almost really no change over the past several quarters, between 10 and 13% growth a year in each quarter, almost as if there was no crisis. And we know China very much controls or persuades the banks and companies and economic policy. But um, it, it is definitely coming through at the very micro level for these banks. As these banks report earnings, a Ping An Bank is the only one so far. It's had a, a very big decline in bad loans. We may see that um, we could be wrong. Maybe, maybe credit costs will come down a huge amount instead of just 30 or 40%. And these banks could actually be some of the best, um, show some of the best uh, profit delta of any if their core is doing well and their credit costs are coming down. So I've, I've, um, I've finished with the formal presentation, but uh, Michael, I'm, I'm very happy to open up to Q&A at this time. Thank you very much, Daniel, for this very detailed view. Just to kick it off, uh, Daniel, you mentioned uh, how Thailand uh, approved some um, financial relief and the MPL warehouse, as it was known. Could you elaborate a bit on that and the outlook for Thai banks following that development? Yeah, the, the idea is to create what they call an NPL warehouse. It doesn't seem like it's going to be exactly the same as 1997, but that's beside the point. It would be something to relieve banks of holding their NPLs, of um, reporting high NPLs, of taking provisions for high NPLs. And it could, there could actually be a liquidity lifeline so that a company, maybe a hotel company, they pledge a little bit more collateral, and then all of a sudden that loan is performing they may be able to then uh, lease back that asset. It's a way not only to help the banks, but to help really companies in the tourism sector. And um, that's just approved today. It, it sounds like it's approximately 100 billion baht. So you know, not, not tiny, not 
not tiny and um, better than nothing. But uh, what I think is particularly interesting is it's coming at a time when the government is very vocal about reopening up uh, to tourism and um, doing it very, very quickly, even steps to do more, even for April, even for July. The additional measure announced with this um, NPL warehouse is simple relief, about 250 billion baht for companies which are facing stress from the government closure. And in theory, if these companies have money, they have greater liquidity, they can better service their loans and that will help banks. Mm -hmm. And I think, so we've heard from, uh, you know, the U.S. Uh, that uh, they will not be winding back stimulus, uh, despite the stronger outlook that you that you described up top. And I wonder, are we seeing the the impact on uh, Asian banks as well? Like, is that does that contribute to a bullish uh, thesis? Oh yeah, yes, sure. We just didn't put it in the data because uh, the Bank of Thailand's balance sheet is people aren't really that interested. It, it's just there's there's very, very good high frequency data in the US. It just so just so happens it's one of the most interesting um, liquidity numbers out there anyway. But you can apply this to a lot of these countries, maybe not on the same scale. But uh, yes, all of these countries have applied a much greater level of liquidity to support these systems. I mean, the real risk, which we're comfortable with, and I think most people in the world would be, is um, inflationary risks. And that's that's very likely from all of this. Mm -hmm. um, we have a question from an attendee asking if you have any outlook for DBS Bank uh, of Singapore. Yeah, to, to us, their investment into the bank in India with over 500 branches is, is transformational. And um, all of a sudden, DBS becomes in theory, a, a bank in India with, with a proper footprint. It doesn't mean that's going to change the bank positively today, but uh, it's always in a time of crisis when you when you really have these sorts of opportunities. And um, I think we can all agree that D Singapore itself is it's not a huge banking environment for any bank, let, let alone for, for three banks. So to us, that's the most important medium to long-term transformational thing that we've seen anywhere in Asia. Uh, the, other, the other point is that this bank has a lot more exposure to oil and gas services than OCBC and UOB with what's happening with prices and demand. So that, that I mean, that's more cyclical than anything else. That actually should help DBS relative to the other banks. Uh, interestingly, UOB had discussed uh, de-risking going into the fourth quarter, going into um, the end of 2020, probably not the time you want to de-risk as everything's turning up. Um, so this could actually be a, a better positive for DBS. Thirdly, when we look at how much provisions have been taken in 2020, compared to 2019, DBS stands out as being a bit higher so that holding all else equal, it may stand to benefit more from the Delta during this year. I, I mentioned uh, in passing previously that Hong Kong credit metrics did not look good for UOB's business in, um, in Hong Kong. A huge increase in its um, bad loan ratio in Hong Kong 
from, albeit a, a number which almost doesn't register from 0.2% to 1% from 19 to 20. But um, for DBS, it wasn't nearly as bad. Both have a similar relative exposure in, in Hong Kong. But uh, we mentioned this because if, if we're then saying we are concerned as we are for what's happening in Hong Kong, um, it appears as, as though so far, DBS may be managing it a bit better than, for instance, UOB. Understood. Thank you for that. Another question from uh, attendees involve Malaysian banks and whether you would have uh, an outlook there. Right. Um, I have to admit, I, we haven't looked um, closely at the Malaysian banks for, um, for quite some time. Really, the focus point would be on where the banks have taken provision expenses at a high level compared to um, the previous year, where banks may have the um, oil and gas exposure, because that's, that should provide for a, for a good delta. But um, hard, to give names, hard to give names at this point. We just haven't focused so much on Malaysia. Understood. Not a problem. Another question is, uh, what's your outlook for Japanese banks? Um, the attendee mentions a comment that perhaps uh, Brian Waterhouse made uh, that bank stocks tend to underperform after 15 March. Do you agree? And uh, do you see a reason for this view? Well, I don't think anybody knows Japanese banks better than Brian. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know the pattern of performance of bank stocks. And we actually tend not to focus on that at all. We're focused mm -hmm. almost exclusively on financials, really on what's the most important delta in the profit and loss. And to us, they look very interesting. Uh, firstly, because ROAs for Japanese banks, and we're really thinking of the, the, big, the biggest ones, not, not all the small regionals, ROAs are very, very, very low in Japan. Um, they're not efficient. Their margins are low. Nominal rates are low. It doesn't make for a good um, environment in, our, in terms of ROA. So that if you have an environment where credit costs were cyclically high, which they were in the March quarter of last year, possibly in the June quarter of last year, and those numbers can come down at a time when Japan is reopening, restarting its economic engine, the delta from say, let's say 15 basis points ROA to say 25 basis points ROA, that, that is tremendous in terms of profit growth. And that's where we, um, we like these banks. I see, thank you for that. Changing a little bit uh, in geography again, you mentioned India and uh, the recent development, the recent court um, decision to force lenders basically to resume classifying uh, and disclosing bad debt. Uh, do you think that uh, the government will step in here and kind of provide relief to, to the banks? No, no, it's the other way around. They're providing disrelief. Basically, they've said uh, there's too much moral hazard. So this was driven by the government and the RBI. So no, I think it's the other way around. Whereas now, we're, I think the way they're looking at it, they're saying, look, we, we know the numbers weren't quite right. We know India was in, a, was in dire straits well before 2020. And um, it's very difficult um, to continue the charade, the moratorium, especially with reporting. And um, there's a lot of moral hazard. 
So I think they're saying, we're now going to report the real numbers. We're going to force the banks to report the real numbers. And um, they will have to do that. And that has implications for, um, for credit costs, for MPLs. And um, it probably will not be good. Understood. Well, we're just about coming up on time. So if there are no, no more questions from the audience, Daniel, I want to thank you very much for your time today. And I want to thank everyone for attending and for sharing your questions with us. Uh, please note that uh, Daniel is available for uh, bespoke research requests. So do contact your Smart Chrome account manager if you would like to engage Daniel. And if you have any more questions, please email us at research at smartkarma.com. Daniel, thank you very much once again. Okay, thanks, Michael. Thank you, everybody. Bye for now. That's it for this week. If you liked this episode, please share it with your networks and follow Smart Karma on your social media. We're Smart Karma everywhere. And of course, don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. As always, thank you very much for listening and see you at the next one.